Thank you so much for joining The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I am your host, Sharon Feckety, the author of The Broken Road to Mental Health in Life and in Business. I hope you will go on Amazon and purchase the book or download it on Audible and listen to the book so you can get some more insight as to why I decided to start this podcast show a few years ago and continue the conversation. You're going to hear from professionals. You're going to hear from people with lived experience, those that struggle with anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. Uh, You're going to listen to people that have recovered. Uh, You're going to hear resources about how you can navigate through this broken road to mental health and life in a business. And you will certainly be hearing me talk about the importance of having this discussion in business today. That is what I speak about at conferences, and I hope that you will take it seriously. We need to speak more about mental health in the workplace. So thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Please be sure to tell somebody you know that might be struggling to subscribe, to listen, to watch and share it with others. You are not alone on this broken road to mental health. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the broken road to mental health in life and in business. As always, I am so happy and honored to interview somebody who has also been on their own broken, cracked road to a better life and uh, here to offer hope to those that might be struggling today on this broken road to mental health. I'd like to welcome uh, author, mom, um, kundalini yoga instructor, lawyer. I don't know. Uh, There's probably 19 ways to describe this beautiful woman. Um, Nadia Davis is here to share her story with us. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me and for opening the doors for more and more discussion about mental health. It's so important. Yes, it is. So important. So Nadia, I mean, your bio is incredible and your background is incredible. Um, I would highly encourage everybody to just click to the links um, that we're going to provide in the show notes uh, to learn more. But I'd really like to know what led you to where you are in this moment right now. Um, as much as you could share with us so others know that they are not alone and that hope can be found um, through taking some action and starting the work on themselves. From the absolute depths of darkness and despair and suicidality and having tried everything in my self-will, in my mind, I was thankfully linked to the right place where angels wings just were wrapped around me and the strength of women who had recovered and others who had recovered. And so I began um, with intensive trauma therapy after numerous relapses, after numerous times in treatment, after, you know, meeting 12-step recovery and And it was the key deep trauma work that really, really led to a space where I was able to embrace Kundalini yoga and breath work and start to feel safe just in my body. And then it began another year or so of breath work, all the somatic stuff, along with 
being able to embrace a statement, you are not a body, nor the thoughts your mind makes. So let's start at the base. Let's start like we are all born of a core innocence and we don't hear that as kids. We don't learn tools about how our mind works. And, you know, we go about life. I went about life as, you know, the grin and bear it mode. I'm gonna save the world, it's me against the world or completely disassociated and and it worked it worked for a long time but when I heard someone say you know 40 years later your thoughts that mode and your body are not your true self it was like bam then the shame Hmm. the shame went away and the real work began and I started writing started writing from a broken heart, um, longing for more time with my kids while I was getting help. And every chapter begins with dear son. And Mm -hmm. so it was in that place of, okay, we talk about healthy attachment, but when we talk about sharing tools from a mother's heart, I was able to really connect to what happened, hope and then specific skills and that that's how I started writing I love it so I want you know I'm I have a lot of friends that are attorneys <laughs> um it's so beautiful the way you speak so unfortunately for the audience they they didn't get to hear our pre-recorded session where we were just talking like we had met 20 years ago and we just got right into it you know <laughs> That's usually how it goes when uh, two women come together after just being through it. There's there's no reason to chit chat or ask about the weather. We're just like, you know, <laughs> what messed you up? Oh, perfect. Yeah, me too. Let's let's do this. But you know, um, to even in in a profession, I mean, so many things, you know. But even to be an attorney, where you know, it, it, it's all about fixing. Mm-hmm. When I think about what an attorney is, I think about my girlfriend actually who has on her license plate fixer. <laughs> and I think about how much That's right that we we do that, that we try to help so many people, but there is so much healing that needs to happen within ourselves while we are trying to help others. Does that resonate with you at all? Completely. Oh good. <laughs> Completely. All of the outside sense of worth and that identity um, and just sources of adoration for the work that I was doing. That was my sense of, of core worth in the world. And it was inspired by my father. My father um, was an orphan field worker and, um, I'm super happy to say that the book is number three in Hispanic biographies because oh. it starts with his story. His full story needed to be told and and his overcoming all these challenges from being a janitor to a jazz musician and all kinds of discrimination. He became one of the first Spanish speaking and Hispanic lawyers yeah. in the nation. And I watched him in this Grin and Barrett mode and this fixer like you're talking about and 
and I sought to replicate it. it. It wasn't like a literal thought. It just was. And with the stuff I experienced as a child and having no real healthy attachment, um, molestation from a doctor and then some racial bullying, it was not uh, any, there wasn't any level of awareness of trauma, that word. It, we just continue in life. And so I, I made those to-do lists. I was a fixer from the age of, you know, three on taking off my shoes at a Mexican orphanage when my parents took all seven of us, seven in a nine-year span to give some toys there. And, you know, I took my shoes off and saw a girl without shoes and, you know, the fixing mm. and that identity began early, early on, but it's not something I want to criticize. It's like, it comes from that. It comes from my true self, but I was not aware again of how my mind was, was working and how being a fixer, being a saver, being a good person was getting me into very unhealthy situations where I was not aware of, I was just disassociated and not aware of what others were doing and, and got myself in some, some pretty bad situations over and over again. So, yeah. so it could be embraced that part, but I now know today that my mind finds that ego identity in this today, it's really being aware of codependency, of my sponsor calls it awareness of my limitations, mm. not getting into unmanageability. Um, and in therapy, it's just, am I in situations where core wounds are being triggered? So mm. that's kind of the overlap of the work, you know? Yeah. Oh, I could talk about that for like two hours, <laughs> that alone. Yeah, I I really, I relate to that very much. I speak about it in my book. I re remember um, I was called Dear Abby as a child because everybody came to me. I really wanted to be a therapist. Um, and then, and this is my truth, so I'll just say it. But then when I found out how much they made and how much schooling they had to go to, I was like, uh-uh, <laughs> I'd much rather be in business. And I really kind of, even, you know, before I picked up that, that drink that took me out of self and um, went on this horrific, traumatic journey through addiction um, and alcoholism, I was always the go-to, mm -hmm. you know, and then I saw that even shift in my own recovery, you know, that I was helping so many people because then you come into this life of recovery and you're like, yes, come to me. <laughs> I will help you. <laughs> Meanwhile, we are I have, very much alike. Yeah. And, and, and I, so how, where did that lead you? Oh, girl. Well, I can only see it clearly now, which I have just, I would say just these last few months really gotten kind of loud about it myself that when I wrote my book in 2019, um, I have, I've been a very focused solution strategist. I mean, that's even what it said on my business card. <laughs> solution strategist. I don't need to deal with whatever happened to me in the past. 
as in the past. It was that very, you know, you hear I'm from Irish immigrant parents, you know, who left their country to build a better life for their kids. And I watched my parents both working in hospitals and taking care of three kids and all the things. Right. That's what we see. That's what we see. And I know what you know, their childhood was like, and it was just like, well, that's over. We're good now. We're just, my dad was the boss at New York hospital. You know, my mom went back to school in her forties, pregnant with her, you know, my, my brother who's 10 years younger than me. And I just watched resilience, that word that we learn or that we think is actually a good thing. (laughs) You know, it's great to be somebody that can come from such adversity. I think that we would both agree that it's a definite strength, right? I feel no fear about most things today because Mm -hmm. if I can survive my own trauma, I can pretty much do anything. I'm not afraid of much, but I do think that when we go into forgetting or trying to push down, right? This is, you know, the visual, if anybody's watching, you know, pushing down Mm -hmm. depression, I push down all of my trauma and I did not really understand how much of it I had been through until I wrote my book. And then I was like, oh no, you know, I got to do mm-hmm. some more work. That's really how I was like, oh my God, thank you for bringing this to me to realize that that is a real contention for me. Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to be the solution strategist for everybody I really have to take a step back and see what's going on with me that wants to heal others when I'm still trying to heal myself. That was a mouthful. I get it. I get it completely. And how beautiful that, you know, you're doing what you're doing now, because now you have, you're using that for this with that awareness to help others. And what I found starting from a base point in Kundalini yoga was this, you know, word of like the core innocence. Okay. We're all born from it and always will be this core innocence. And that didn't like click with me. Mm -hmm. What is she talking about? And then it was okay. And our ego mind is here and it works in polarities and there's no black and white. There's no good and bad. There's no success or failure. And you know, what, what is she talking about? But then combined with the trauma work and seeing like, okay, our, we're, in, we're a spirit, but we're in this mind and it's survivalist in nature. Mm. And so if my mind is survivalist, it will create these fears if any of this identity is threatened and then others' judgments because they're, of their expectations of identities. And so it was, okay, I have a choice every day. We have a choice between these fears and judgment or love is like the most basic thing. And all of our grin and bear mode that we just talked about is it, it really is that survival mind and in these fears and judgments. And so like, uh, and so a home within is, can be as basic as that as a starting point it's i am of a core innocence infinite whole divine and complete which is weird to hear i i believe it i've seen it when i had the near-death experience and then i'm in this mind 
I can't shut it off completely. Most people can. I, I get to that point now, thankfully today. Yeah. And it's, I'm going to observe the fear and judgment. And that kind of base point, these attack thoughts that separate me from this is how I was able to embrace 12-step recovery, trauma work, chronic pain management, like all of it, all of it. It was like that middle ground between meditation, mindfulness, and running a marathon. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And, yes. and it, it just was the middle ground base point mm. of where I began and where I came to in writing the book and explaining the different modalities and things where I got help. It just was this, this is base home. Yeah. Well, you're very familiar to me. So I will share that when I speak to you, I, I see all of my friends in, um, in the world of um, shamanic healing and my spiritual gurus and my tea ceremony ladies and my uh, warriors that have really done so, uh, so many journeys and I've been blessed with, you know, I work with integrative medicine doctors for 10 years now and I'm, yeah, so it is cool, but it is, um, again, kind of like I shared with you before it's, there's, there's all this evolving that happens. I have to plug in my computer. How embarrassing. No, don't be embarrassed. I mean, (laughs) there's nothing to be embarrassed on the broken road to mental health about Lord. (laughs) My battery is dying because it's on a laptop. So I love it. (laughs) Let me go. I'll tell you what all um, all healers I feel like have in common is technology is not their first priority. I know. I'm so sorry. Let me grab this real quick. (laughs) Don't be sorry. On the road. Well, here we are back again. So we were so. I, when I speak to Nadia, I feel like I've talked, I'm talking to Cesar Lara and uh, (laughs) Sierra Bender and Claudia Cook and all of these wonderful healers uh, uh, that have been put in my life um, for reasons. And I love hearing, especially that although there are 12 steps and there's recovery, there's so much more healing. And I think it's important when we even mix in those, that term 12 steps, you know, Bill Wilson, the founder of this wonderful program suffered deeply from depression. And I do believe in my soul, in my core, that 80 plus years later, I think that he'd be very proud that we have people today that are willing to come outside of this beautiful community while keeping that core intact, but allowing people to hear about other spaces that could really help us soar, not just recover, but soar, right? right? That was beautifully said. I And I think the reason that it wasn't done was shame. Sure. I'm so excited to tell you about our sponsor, Valley Bank. To know that we have a bank thinks so much about mental health in the workplace has made me so proud. 
Valley Bank is my bank for business and has been since the day I opened 10 years ago. When I was introduced to them, I was told that I was going to really like everybody that worked for the bank. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Turns out they were right. I like everybody that works there. They are good people, nice people, and they care about others. They care about the community. But the thing I am most proud of is how they are welcoming the conversation about mental health in the workplace into their bank and willing to take that risk and talk about it in our community. Valley Bank is definitely forging the way in business to open up this conversation. If it wasn't for my father's employee assistance program back in the day, 28 years ago, I would not be on this podcast today. It just goes to show when you offer these resources to your company and to your team, Miracles can happen. I am one of them. So Valley Bank not only offers an employee assistance program to their staff and their team members, but they also send out these great vitality monthly communications, bi-weekly wellness resources, and they're willing to sponsor a podcast that is about mental health in life and in business. So if you have not connected with Valley Bank, I highly recommend you do. Well, if you've been listening or watching the show for a while, you know that I love nothing more than recommending a great book, a great podcast show, a great resource. And this book, Keep Kicking Frisco, Keep Kicking, is such a great book, and I highly, highly recommend it. So Dr. Torres, in his mid-20s, in his second year of med school, was being rushed to the hospital, rushed to the ER. They didn't know what was going on with him. It turns out he was suffering from panic attacks and anxiety, but you know, the doctors, his own colleagues didn't know what to do with him. And Dr. Torres was forced to treat himself. So doctors always take a medical history and Dr. Torres' self-assessment was no different and keep kicking Frisco. Torres describes what wacky journey of self-discovery can be like and sheds light on how the accumulated eccentricities of our upbringings shape the person we grow up to be. Mm -hmm. Panic attacks and all, everybody. So apart from this incredible family history story, the book aims to demonstrate how the lives of others intersect with our own and shape who we become. For those who suffer from anxiety, depression, and fear, Dr. Torres's story absolutely offers hope for the future and a blueprint of how to overcome the panic we sometimes face in our own lives. So check out the show notes, click on the link, get the book. You won't regret it. Keep kicking. And shaming. It's already hard to go back in the rooms if you've had a relapse. And then I do think, and I, and I love the 12 step program. I mean, I see fellowship every day. I think, um, you know, what, what happens, or at least what happened in me is the some of the wording, um, defects, and a lot of other things can can create this, again, the survivalist mind will attack and it will say, you know, you failed. And a defect, if you are depressed or you are down, um, we will get into self-will, isolation, and all of that. And when our mind is attacking and judge, and we start judging ourselves, it's really hard with shame 
to open up about those struggles. And there's so much that I see where that, that core grounding of my mind is making shame and I'm feeling shaming from others has such a source of suffering, such a source of suffering because we just don't get it that our, we're not those thoughts and we're not the body. And that's where it was. I, I, I just want to embrace the world and let them know that we have to ban that shame. We can open up so, to so much healing with just that one thought being banned. Mm. You know, there's so much suffering and so much relapse. And I do believe that it's just not understanding how our mind works and that I'm defective, something's wrong with me. And that's, again, the mind on high gear supposedly trying to help us survive but it's really attacking our connection to the truth of what we all are mm, true that <laughs> so Nadia why don't you tell everybody what led you to write this book my children my children as well as to ban shame it was my story was publicized and it was told in a way that made it a scandal, a human mental health and addiction struggle. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that that did not change my core worth and had done my work and was at a point of stability and strengthening my own connection to my truth. I was at a point where it was, okay, I will own the story. In fact, I'm gonna tell it all so that other people can relate and know that there's no shame in any of these struggles. So I just, I put it all out there. And mm -hmm. it's not, I'm, I'm not an addict or infidel or mentally crazy, however they branded me. Mm -hmm. you know this is the truth of what was going on and I hope the whole world starts speaking that way oh, I mean this forum is doing that and so I that's the overall bigger message and then it was again to walk my children through these things so that they would have no shame and they would feel you know safety and just a parent mm. um, but I love writing. Mm -hmm. I had, I started little snippets of writing throughout the journey starting, you know, 14 years ago. And so when I first sat down to write after multiple people were encouraging me, um, it was, it wasn't really to tell my story. It was to tell my father's story. And then Arthur Carmona's full story, who was the wrongfully convicted kid that I represented was my first case. Mm -hmm. And it, I started from their truth needs to be told and then began 
finding pieces into the future. It's Arthur's spirit and my father's spirit that came to me in the darkest of hour when I was at Linwood Women's Facility. And I had tried everything. I had tried everything and I didn't understand how I had relapsed. It was, and that's where I was led to the, the deep trauma therapy. And so, so that's a loaded answer, but it came from wanting to be help people, wanting to put the process um, inwards for my children, knowing that my father's story and Arthur's story in and of themselves were needed. Mm. And, and I knew that I, I had a space within that I wanted other people to find, that I hope other people find. It's not wanting others to struggle. Mm. What are your thoughts, Nadia, about generational trauma? Can I say one other thing? It's Please. the advocate in me also. It's like the world needs to advocate for connection to spirit. And I see that finally happening. There's a lot of bad things happening in the world, but I do see the other movement. So it was the that fighting spirit for warmth and light and love. Well, you say it best uh, when you say we have a daily choice, fear and judgment or love mm -hmm. and love, you know, I too, I can watch what's happening in the world and I can make a choice. I can either choose to get really scared and, you know, talk so negatively about what's going on in the world. But I do believe in my core that this is happening because we need the people that are spiritually grounded to start speaking out because as cheesy as it sounds, I mean, love always wins. It just does. So it's good that everything is getting stirred up and that there's anger and there's rage and there's fighting and there's this side and that side because things will change because of it. Mm -hmm. Things won't change when people just don't speak up and stay right. silent. And then it just repeats itself. And that's, I guess, why I, I asked you about your thoughts surrounding generational trauma, because I do, I come, I come from a place of, we don't, you don't say anything. And I hear this all the time now that everything's out of my book. So people come up to me and they go, oh, in my culture. And I'm like, yeah, your culture, my culture, all of our cultures, <laughs> we are, we are not encouraged to share if stuff is going down. You know, right. we're encouraged to, you know, push it down and act like everything's okay and show up and maybe, I don't know, get a better car or a bigger house or move to the suburbs or whatever it is. So what, what are your thoughts surrounding generational trauma? That's certainly not, I don't know, maybe it is a question you're asked all the time, but from whatever oh. reason, because I read about your father and because I read about you and I read I realize how much and knowing where your father came from and how it comes full circle of you being almost moved by, by spirit to go back to that place and really dig and then see where you are today. I'm, I'm curious um, surrounding your thoughts on that. Thank you. I, I mean, my mom grew up during the war. She's a German immigrant. She is still a German citizen and her own survival mode was also in addition to my dad there wasn't again a lot of healthy attachment um yet when i had a near-death experience that's indescribable i try as best as i as i possibly um could in the book uh 
the past, present, and future is just all merged. And then, I mean, after that experience, I, I want, I had an understanding of that I was carrying the undone work. And the more and more Kundalini yoga trainings that I did, there's, there's actually a word for it and a whole mantra, but it's, um, you know, we're, we're carrying that undone work spiritually as well as psychologically. And so it allowed like a lot of, um, a lot of depth of understanding. I never was angry at my parents, um, you know, as a youth or young adult. Um, and, you know, so when I dove and began the book with my father's story, I knew that he had overcome these challenges, but it was, you know, let's really, really look back. And if grandfathers that both committed suicide raised a father who was absent and then that's what my father got and his mom died when he was nine of tuberculosis it's like what tools did he get and so his mode of grin and bear it and working um that's what helped me survive that's what I saw so so and then my mom it was exactly the same way seven kids and so my own understanding of that and helped me to realize the core workings of my mind having that understanding now and now three sons today um the way that I first approach everything is to identify my own shame within whenever there's a current moment in their behavior or anything they might be struggling with um to protect confidentiality I don't want to get too detailed for them but when there's something that's happening in the past, my own trauma would come up, you know, in the form of I would detach and a gazillion stories from the past, you know, or incidences of the, a handful, there was a handful of significant that pop marked in their head. The other part was watching a mom sad. I witnessed that as a child. So what effect did that have on them? And then so for me today, it's awareness within, mm -hmm. it's awareness of my own shame moments and sitting down and saying, this isn't about you, be present right now. Address your child. No, it's the end of iPad time. Mm -hmm. And a comment, I love the twin, this twin more because he still has it because he started later about no this one who maybe had witnessed something in the past. No, that has nothing to do with that right here, right now. I, I love you the same and your iPad time is over. It could be a simple moment like that mm -hmm. versus I have feeling charts all over, emoji charts. And so it's, you know, name the feeling. One of them used to take his dart gun, the suction one, and he would aim at it instead of you know, hitting one of us or hitting the other. Um, that started, you know, several years ago is identifying the feelings. I have identified it within. I've, I am not detached in my own story. In the program, we would call that self-centeredness. That's shame-based. I know it's trauma-based also. Mm. And so, um, you know, I, 
am aware enough now you name the feeling do what I am doing within outside with my children and it's so cool yeah it is so cool oh my god are you kidding (laughs) it's so cool but just being able to like speak openly and talk about feelings and I mean especially raising men my goodness do we we need that uh more than ever you know I was I'm so grateful. I I mean, I had a moment this morning, my husband was very sad and he called me and it was beautiful to be able to hear him and just not compare it, just like, like, listen and be there for somebody, you know, and to provide a a space for somebody to feel heard and loved, right? And cared for is a beautiful, beautiful way of life. But that that's a lot of work later, right? Like that's definitely not who I was many years ago. So I have this, which I'm sure you do too, this just empathy for people that might be in the struggle right now, or, you know, maybe depressed or anxious or whatever it is, or still struggling with with alcoholism and addiction. And knowing talking to two women here, you know, that are, are on a journey. Like I find myself, I'm just, I'm a continuously evolving and learning and being open to it and just not being close to, to anything anymore. And to, you know, loving the people around me as best as I can and and taking care of myself and you taking care of yourself. So Anyway, I feel like I I would love to ask for a part two. I don't always ask my guests for a part two. I would love to have a part two. Um, (laughs) Another thing with generational trauma and the the blessing of having gone through the trauma therapy and all the horribly painful things is what I learned about the healthy attachment and how it's so linked that if we don't have secure attachment all that survival mind and the fight flight freeze fawn mode just kicks in but when we do and what I'm hoping is going to prevent effects of generational trauma is is hopefully providing that safe secure place where they know they can express they can they can be mad they can, you know, throw things, but not at somebody, even outside. And they're loved mm. and just get it out. And the more and more that I've done that, um, I do believe that that healthy attachment has gotten stronger and stronger and is in more of a secure one. So that is my main goal in life, really, today for my children as a mother. And um, I love that you asked about generational trauma. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's never a plan. As a mom. Yeah. Yeah. It's never the plan. It's only really what comes out of these conversations, because I do think that it's so, it's always beautiful to witness people in healing, raising other humans. Mm-hmm. Really is. It's nice. We need more of that. And I'm, I'm, it is nice to hear that your sons can even 
be angry. That is a, that's a big deal and be okay and, and not suppress how they feel. It's beautiful. So Nadia, why don't you show everybody that's watching your book? I know so it's blurred, but shoot. That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll have a picture of it anyway, when we're promoting you. And so let's see, it's home is within you. Home is within you. Um, let's see. It won't. It won't. It's okay. It won't. It's- home is within you. And <laughs> there we go. There we go. Home is within you, everybody. Home and- is within you. And Beautiful. this blanket in the back is on the cover from my tribe. And please, yes, order today. Yeah, no, let's read this book. Nadia is going to record it and then we're going to be able to listen to it too. So we're putting that on, on tape as they once said back in our day. So Nadia, thank you. I look forward to you coming back and talking about your audible version. Awesome. I am (laughs) so happy to come back. Thank you. Don't forget to check out Valley Bay for all your banking needs. They are supporting mental health in the workplace and beyond. Thank you, Valley. Don't forget to check out Keep Kicking Frisco. Keep kicking. You won't regret it. Link in the show notes.